so to give you a breakdown of what's happening, okay, Paul has been in Asia and he has uh, been uh, ministering in Corinth. He's written four letters to Corinth. He's imprisoned in Rome. And we know that you know, he, had gone to, uh, he had gone to Jerusalem. And when he was there, he was accused by the Jews that were in Asia who hated what he was teaching and wanted to destroy the ministry and destroy the gospel. They chased him uh, as, uh, as he got to Jerusalem. They went after him there. And they accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, which he did not do. But it caused an incredible riot in Jerusalem. He was arrested by the Romans. And he ended up being taken to Caesarea. And he was in prison in Caesarea for a few years as the different governors were wanting to uh, get some payoffs and, and make a buck and hopefully get some bribe money and everything as they were trying to not only further their own personal agendas, but also appease the Jewish people because the last thing they wanted was tension. So what they did was Festus and Felix kept him under arrest in Caesarea for a while, a few years. And he ended up appealing to see Caesar. And so off to Rome he went. And the incredible thing about what we see in the book of Acts is here's Paul. He is now under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier all day, all night, every day, every night. And the incredible thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ is still being preached. And it is growing and more people are getting saved and other cities are hearing the gospel of Christ and things are changing and happening and it's just incredible. And Colossae is one of those places where Paul did not go to start a church or anything, but because of the ministry that he had done in Ephesus, people got saved, they went home to Colossae, and they started a church there. One of the key guys in the church was a man named Philemon. And what we see with, with what was happening in, in the, the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon is Paul's in prison and he's writing two letters, okay? Colossians and Philemon. And he's sending them by the hand of two guys. One guy's name is Tychicus and the other guy is Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And what we find out from the book of Philemon is that there was something that Onesimus did and apparently it seems like he stole from Philemon or he defrauded him in some way. And so he went on the run. And in his running from Philemon, now in that culture, now Philemon's a believer now, but in that culture, a slave owner could execute a slave for any reason. Okay? They were property. So Onesimus is on the run. And as he is on the run, he uh, winds up 
in Rome. And he ends up meeting Paul, who's in prison. Onesimus becomes a believer. And this once on the run slave is now a brother in Christ, a servant of the kingdom of God, and God is using him mightily. And so Paul takes Tychicus and Onesimus and says, okay, guys, you have a job to do. You need to go to Colossae. I've got two letters. One is to the church in Colossae, which Philemon was one of the leaders at the church and met in his house. And Onesimus, here's a letter from me to Philemon, your master. I want you to take this to him. Oh, man, can you imagine what kind of reception is he going to get? And so the two set off. And we see Paul's heart in Philemon where he says to Philemon, look, I know because of my authority, I can command you to set Onesimus free and let him serve me and the gospel and the work of God. But I'm not going to do that. And you see in Paul's heart, he's not a control freak. He's not a guy who abuses authority or position. He says, look, Philemon, I believe the best in you. I know your heart. I'm asking you to set Onesimus free so that he can do a greater work with me and for the Lord. He's your brother now, not just a servant. He's your brother. And Paul's heart is also seen in that he says, listen, anything that he owes you, whatever he needs to pay back, you put it to my account and I will pay you, okay? I'll cover his debt. And to me, that just shows such a heart of love and a concern for taking care of both sides of things. Onesimus, you have a debt. Philemon, I want to make it right by you. Onesimus can't do it. I want to do it for him. And just bringing this harmony and this unity within the body. And so what ends up happening, we don't have this from the book of Philemon, but we have it from church history. Onesimus becomes a major leader in the Asian church. Okay? God uses him. God uses Philemon and all these folks that we hear their names. God used these people. And they were just regular folks like us. The letter to the Colossians, it's very interesting in that it deals with a lot of heresy. A lot of crazy teaching was coming into the Colossian church. And it was causing a lot of problems. And these are the things that Paul is addressing here. And he wants them to understand who Jesus is and the supremacy of Jesus and the deity of Jesus and the fact that there is nothing else needed for salvation and redemption but Jesus. And so he writes this letter. And he deals with issues that are still going on today. It never changes. The Word of God deals with issues that have been around from the beginning. Okay? In Colossae, there was an early form of Gnosticism that was coming in. 
Gnosticism was this idea that if you really wanted to be spiritual, if you wanted to have a closer relationship with God, you needed to have special enlightenment and special wisdom that only their group had. And you had to be a part of their group to get that wisdom and enlightenment. Okay, And so as we go through Colossians, we're going to see a lot of words that keep repeating. Knowledge, wisdom, in. Okay, in is like all over the place, all right? And it's very important. So this issue of the special knowledge that you have to have, we see that today. There's mysticism. And within the church and the progressive church movement, there's this, well, we have more insight. I was reading the Progressive Church Manifesto, if you will, and one of the things that they say is that what's important is asking questions, not in absolutes. The most important thing in church and in the pursuit of God is asking questions, not having absolutes. The point being is the Bible is an absolute, okay? So we want to ask questions. We want to probe. And yes, we do as Christians. But the point being is, well, let's see what else is out there. Let's see what else we can open our minds to. Let's not be so dogmatic that Jesus is the only way, even though he said so, okay? So there's this idea of, broadening your mind, taking in other ideas. And we hear that a lot. You know, Christians are so narrow-minded. Yeah, we are. Because if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father unless they go through me, that's really narrow, right? If Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's sweating blood and crying out to the Father going, if there is any other way, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Well, obviously, there was no other way, right? Jesus went to the cross. Jesus wasn't making a mistake. He did not have a communication gap with the Father. He knew there was no other way. That's why we're so absolute and dogmatic about Christ and Christ alone. And that's what Paul is dealing with in the book of Colossians. There was a sedative, a sedative, asceticism, okay? And that is living your life in a way where you deny yourself pleasure and anything that is superfluous superfluous, anything that's not necessary, okay? Uh, you bear basics for existence. A monastic life, all right? Where you just get rid of everything and anything so that you can attain, you can attain a greater spirituality, all right? That was big. The law and keeping rules and regulations and traditions was permeating. Astrology Eastern mysticism, where we all have divinity. And this idea that Jesus is not God, but he is one of many manifestations of God, which is Buddhist thought, Baha'i thought, Hindu thought, Eastern thought, 
He's one of the ascended masters, but he is not God. He's just one of many manifestations. The worship of angels and spiritism and trying to connect with the spirit world were issues that were coming into the church. And it was hurting the body of Christ. And this is what I find so interesting. What it all boils down to is the devaluation of Jesus Christ. The devaluation of the cross and the sacrifice and the resurrection. Saying that it's not enough. Jesus is not enough. You need something else, something more. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning where Satan, when he tempts and deceives Eve in the garden, he brings the character of God into question. And he says, hey, God doesn't want you to know that if you eat of this tree, you are going to be like him, knowing good and evil. And there's this implication that God is not being upfront, that God is holding back, that there's something more than you can have, but God's not letting you in on it. So it doesn't change. Because the enemy doesn't change. Jesus says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And right here, right now, that same thief, the devil, seeks to rob believers of the things that God has for them by weighing them down with traditions, rules, regulations, mysticism, shadows we'll see. Things that point to Jesus, but he's the fulfillment. But instead, you're chasing after the shadow. Getting us off track, distracted, wrapped up in other things so that we cannot walk in the life that Christ purchased for us on the cross. So this is very important, what we're looking at today. And we're not going to go through the whole thing, but fortunately, it's a short letter. And we're going to be able to delve into some very specific things, okay? So the first issue that is being addressed by Paul is going to be the supremacy and deity of Jesus. So what I'd like us to do is start chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 9, okay? And we're going to see not only Paul's heart, but he's also going to show what his desire is for the church there. And remember what I said. Look at the words like in, knowledge, wisdom, complete. All right, we see these time and time again because what's being driven is you need other knowledge. You need other wisdom. You are not complete. You need something else besides Jesus. So these are the things Paul deals with. And so, from the day we heard of, you know, God moving and then accepting Christ and all, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay? So he's bringing this all to our prayer is that the Lord will work in you to bring you to a greater knowledge of God. The Gnostics and the philosophers were saying you need knowledge apart from God, knowledge apart from Christ. And Paul's saying you need to know God. You need to grow in that knowledge. Jesus said this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's it. Eternal life is all boiled down to a more intimate, closer relationship with God the Father and God the Son. That's what we're going to do forever. That's what we're doing now. It doesn't just happen when we die. It happens when we're saved and it continues on forever. This is the type of thing that the enemy wants to rob us of. To twist our understanding of God. To twist our understanding of Jesus. To call into question their sufficiency. To call into question their love. To call into question whether or not the word of God is true. And so on and so forth. So he's bringing this in saying, I want you to increase in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And so you're seeing that there's this focus coming in onto the Lord and his work in our lives for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of God? Was it themselves? Was it their works? Was it their knowledge? Was it their understanding? Was it their heritage? No, God qualified them. He made them qualified because of the blood of Christ. And to me, that is such a comfort. What makes you think you have the right to go to heaven? What qualifies you to be a child of the living God? What qualifies you to be an heir of God and seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Who do you get off being, thinking that you, owe, you, you deserve that? Well, you don't. And I don't. But my qualification isn't what I do. It's what he's done. And that is so beautiful. There's such hope that we can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And listen, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has qualified us by redeeming us by forgiving our sins, by giving his life on the cross. So Paul's saying, look, 
he took you out of darkness and he has transferred you, okay? Have you ever been in a job where you got transferred someplace else? You know, you don't have to say yes, but if you have, they remove you from where you are and put you someplace else. And that's what God has done for us in Christ. You are being transferred from this kingdom to my son's kingdom. Boom, there you go. Well, I'm not qualified. You believe in my son. He paid the price. You're qualified. Welcome to my son's kingdom. That is so cool that he would do this for us. So right from the get-go, he's driving home what Christ has done, what the Father has done, that it's all about knowing him. So in verse 15, now he is dealing with the deity of God. I mean of Jesus, okay? Verse 15, Paul says, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All right? Now this is dealing with the people who are saying, Jesus is not God. He is just a man with enlightenment, okay? And if you receive enlightenment too, you can be like Christ. You can, uh, the progressive church calls it Christ-likeness, Christ-mindedness. So if you enlighten yourself, you can attain that level of enlightenment that Jesus had, okay? So he's dealing with this kind of thing. And when he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that word image means an exact copy, an exact representation this is dealing with the idea that people were saying, Jesus is one of many manifestations. Just like they say today, well, the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, he was a manifestation of God, if you will. Okay? Hindus, Hare Krishnas, will all say that Jesus is an ascended master. He is a manifestation of the deity. Paul is saying no. He is the exact representation of God. Okay? You remember when Jesus, I think he was talking to Philip, and Philip comes to him and says, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough. And Jesus says to him, Philip, how long have I been with you? You know, we're talking three years about now. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You're looking at the Father. You're hearing the Father. I am that I am. I am God. You're looking at him, Philip. Keep your finger here and go over to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, pitched his tent among us, okay? He lived in our midst, in flesh. There were those who taught that Jesus was not flesh and blood. He was not a human being. He was a spirit manifesting himself. There are those who teach that today, okay? 
The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He has the glory of the Father. So Paul is addressing this. He is God, okay? And he says he is the firstborn of all creation. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses will take this thought, which actually comes from uh, the older stuff that Paul's dealing with here. And they were saying that Jesus was not God. He was the son of God, the first created being. And then he created everything else. Okay, that's good Jehovah's Witness doctrine. All right. So he made it all, but he's the first creation. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we're going to see this word firstborn pop up again and what it's referring to. Okay. The firstborn is the one who has the right and the authority and the power over the estate and the household. That's why the right of the firstborn was so important when we were going through the Old Testament, because the one who had the right of the firstborn ruled the house. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He rules creation because he made creation. He was before creation, therefore not a created being. And that's what Paul goes on to say. For by him, this is verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So we see that he's focusing on the preeminence of Christ, the authority of Christ. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. He was not the first person to be risen from the dead. We see it happening in the Old Testament. Jesus raised people from the dead. But he is the one who raised himself from the dead and has the authority to give life to whomever he wishes. He is in charge. He has the power. He is preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God, everything that God is, was pleased to dwell, to reside in, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How does this reconciliation happen? It is through the cross of Christ. He made it all. He is not an angel. He is not one of several spirits or manifestation of God. He made everything that is seen and unseen, the physical world and the spiritual world, he is over all of it. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh, again, driving home that Jesus had a body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So as he's talking about reconciling all things to himself through the cross and his blood, he's saying you have been reconciled to him. He did it. Okay, you are holy and blameless before him. That is your standing. Now, people will look at what this says and they go, oh, well, that's so long as you continue on in the faith. So if you don't continue on in the faith, then you're going to lose your salvation and you're going to go to hell and you're not going to be secure. Okay. That's not what Paul's talking about here. When he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, the way that is in the grammar is assuming that, okay, this is what's yours. I'm assuming that you're, you're born again, okay? I'm assuming that you're saved. That's his audience that he's talking to. Because if you are not continuing in the faith, if you are not adhering to the gospel and the word of God, that is evidence that you are not saved. Okay? When people call into question the word of God and say, well, you know, that's not for today, or, you know, there's a lot of mistakes in there, and yeah, some of it's good, but some of it's man, it's like, hold on, time out. If you're not believing that this is the word of God, and you do not think you have to conform your life to the word of God and of Jesus Christ because we're supposed to be disciples, let's step back for a moment and see if you really have a relationship with the Lord. Because there's a lot of folks out there who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. We talked about this last week. But their life and their thinking does not line up with that. That's why we're told to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Am I really a believer? Am I really saved? You know, and it's not rules and regulations. We're going to see that here. It's, do I really believe in Jesus Christ? Is he who I submit to and I seek to follow and I surrender my life to? Or is he just an addition I go and I punch the clock at church and I do my thing. And then, hey, I'll do it again next Sunday. Live the way I want to the rest of the week. It's all good. I went to church. Or I can do what I want to do. All I have to do is ask God to forgive me and it'll be all good. We've got some real issues there. And we need to see if we have a relationship with the Lord. Because that doesn't fit with being a believer in Christ. So if you, he's saying, assuming that you adhere to the faith or the gospel, okay, assuming that you believe this, this is where you're at. So this is the preeminence of Christ over all things. In chapter two, it goes to the completeness of Christ, okay? Everything that we need is in him. So in chapter two, verse six, 
Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. All right, another grammar issue here, okay, or explanation. And we'll see it borne out in the rest of the text. But it's not receiving Christ as your Savior, okay? It's as you have received Christ, as Paul taught Christ, and as the apostles taught Christ, and as Jesus taught about himself, as to who he is, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, as you have received him, live your life in accordance. Don't be going, oh, he's not sufficient. I need to have this knowledge over here. Oh, he didn't really save me completely on the cross. I have to jump through all these hoops and follow all these rules and regulations. Oh, oh, I have to go over here and I have to do that. Say, no, 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 no. Live your life according to what you have been taught about Christ. Okay, as you've received Jesus from us, who he is, the doctrine of who he is and what he has done, you live according to that. And then he begins to break down the, the opposite of that, okay? So he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, okay? Go with what you've been taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive or prisoner by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits. And that's talking about the, the angel worship and the spiritism that was going on of the world. And do not, and not according to, and not according to Christ. So don't do this. You know, you're doing this instead of looking to Jesus. For in him, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus was fully God, fully man, fused together. That is why he was able to be our spotless lamb, our sacrifice. He was sinless. And so he came and he humbled himself and he put aside all of his glory and all of his power and he took on a body of flesh and blood and he went through what we go through for 33 years. He lived life in our shoes and he met the requirements of the law in the flesh. That's why Hebrew says the blood of lambs and oxen and goats cannot satisfy our debt. Only one of us. Remember when we were studying the book of Ruth and Boaz was the kinsman redeemer? Okay. Because of blood, he alone, well, there was one other guy, but he didn't want to take the right. But because of blood, being a blood relative, Boaz could buy Naomi's property and he could take Ruth as his wife and then raise up a family to Ruth's husband and Naomi's son, okay? He had the right to do it by blood. The New Testament calls Jesus our kinsman redeemer. Because he had a body like ours, because he could trace his heritage all the way back to Adam like we could, okay? He is blood, blood relative and has the right of redemption according to the law. 
it's very important that we understand that Jesus was a man, flesh and blood, just like us. And he fulfilled the requirements of the law of God in the flesh, in his body. If he was just a spirit and he was not tempted like us, what hope is in that? If he was just a manifestation of God and didn't really die for us and really doesn't understand the things we face and struggle with, where's the comfort in that? If it was just an illustration of his love for us, what hope is there? But he came in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he died on a cross and he raised again from the dead three days later. The death was the payment for our sins. Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, paid in full. Nothing else needs to be done. It's finished. And the fact that he rose from the dead is the evidence that the debt was paid. If he had stayed in the grave, it's like he's just talking like anybody else. Well, how do we know we're really saved? How do we know that it was sufficient? He's still in the grave. He's still dead. But he, he promised. No, he said, I'm going to pay it. And then I'm coming back. And he did. So we have hope in Christ. He is sufficient. In him, when he became that little baby, the fullness of God, the Godhead, the King James says, the deity indwelt him. It wasn't divinity. It was not God-likeness. Okay? It was the deity, God himself. He was in that little baby. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay? The word there fulfilled is complete. In Jesus, the fullness of deity dwelled bodily. And in him, you are made complete. He did it all. Okay? Nothing else to add. And then Paul breaks this down. In him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The circumcision of the heart is what Paul's talking about. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt Paid in full, that's what Jesus cried out, that stood against us with its legal demands, death. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So you see how everything is in Jesus, in Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus. It's all of Christ. And that is so liberating. If you've ever been in 
an environment where it's rules and regulations in order to be acceptable before God, that is a heavy load. That's why Paul says in here, with thanksgiving, so many times. Because, man, you sit there and go, I have been set free. I am a child of God by the blood of Christ. I have hope and a confidence of eternal salvation because of what Jesus did. Because he nailed my debt upon that cross and said, this has been paid in full. There is such rest in that. And then in verse 16, therefore, okay, gang, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Okay, and we're going to see this, let no one pop up here and there. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That's what the Jews were doing. The, the Judaizers, they were coming saying, oh, no, no, no. It's not just Jesus. You have to keep the law as well. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the Sabbaths. You have to keep the law if you're going to be saved. We saw in the book of Acts that the church dealt with that whole issue and all as to whether or not the Gentiles had to become circumcised and keep the law to be saved. No, they don't. He goes on and says, These are a shadow of the things to come. All the Sabbaths, the ceremonies, the Passover, all of that were shadows to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, asceticism, there we go, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, uh, without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Okay? So don't let people put this stuff on you. And don't get caught up in mysticism and all of that. Don't let them disqualify you. Now, does that mean disqualify so you're going to lose your salvation? That's not what that means. It's an athletic term. Okay, we got to remember who's writing and what he's talking about. So the disqualification is going back to verse or chapter three of the book of First Corinthians, where Paul says, there is no other foundation which may be laid than that which is already laid, Christ Jesus. And then you got to be careful about what you're going to build upon that foundation. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Okay? Because he says in chapter 3 that when we stand before the Lord, anything that does not have eternal value is going to get burned up. And we will make it through. We will be saved. Okay? We'll be in heaven. But all of the rewards that we might have will be burned away because it was all stuff of the flesh. And it's that thought here. So rather than getting caught up in, oh, I got to go to church on this day. I can't eat this food. I can't drink this thing. I have to have this kind of knowledge. I have to do this and jump through that hoop. That's not going to reward you with anything. It's all going to burn up. And 
instead of focusing on the things that the Lord would have you do, you know, whatever that may be, you know, just living your life for him and being salt and light in your home, in the workplace, wherever you may be, and storing up treasures in heaven with that, we get so bogged down with chasing shadows that we aren't building up our eternal rewards. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about our rewards. Jesus tells us to lay up treasure in heaven where we won't lose it. We'll have it forever. What those are, I don't know. But if Jesus says, don't put your investments here on earth, okay, because you're going to lose it all, invest in heaven because you'll have treasure there. I want that treasure. I work for retirement, uh, the state retirement uh, unit now, okay? And it's like, it's crazy watching and you'll have people who have been working all their lives. And I'm not saying it's not good to plan and all that. It's great. It's wise. Okay. But you never know what's going to happen. And you'll have somebody who invests in the things of this life for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And they've got this pension. And I'll get a call and I go, um, so-and-so just retired and they died last week. Wow. That's when you start thinking, how's their eternal pension looking? You know, what do they have? So where are we investing? Paul says, don't get hung up in the shadows and these things that don't carry any value. Okay? If you go down to verse 23, he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He's saying, look, this whole thing about keeping rules and regulations and traditions and laws, that seems like a good idea. The idea of punishing your body and limiting any kind of pleasure or anything like that seems like a spiritual thing to do, but it's not of any value. A good example of this is Martin Luther. He had wrestled with where he stood with God. And he had serious issues with lust and all of that, that stuff, you know. So he chose to become a monk and he took on the monastic life and he was going to shut out everything. He was going to isolate himself from all the worldly things. But there's a problem with that. You can shut out the world, but you still bring yourself with you. And he found that out really fast. And he had a whip that he hung on the wall in his little room. And when he would start to have a lustful thought or an evil thought, he would grab that and he would flog himself until he passed out from exhaustion. And they would find him lying on the floor from his self-beating, trying to stop this. It doesn't work. It's of no value. It is Christ who works in us and gives us a new heart. And we yield to him and we let the spirit work in us. That's what Paul's saying. Focus on Jesus. And so he gives us life now that we're supposed to live, okay? 
chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, okay, so there it is, if then, okay, assuming that you've been raised with Christ, you're a believer, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. You're not now, but you used to when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put, on, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, that's God's aim for us is to be conformed into the image of Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. As we're in the word and in prayer and yielding to him, he changes us from the inside out. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So that's what we put off. Sadly, and I wish I couldn't say it, but you can look at the church today and what a lot of Christians wear is this stuff. A lot of people don't want to go around to church or Christians because this stuff. We shouldn't wear this stuff. We're dead to it. Don't put it on. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Jesus taught that. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay? There's so much division in the church. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Don't seek division. Don't return evil for evil. Don't slander. Don't malign. Don't lie. Don't be hypocritical. Put on the peace of Christ. Let that rule our hearts. And then he goes on. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This thing here, the word of God, be at home in us. Okay, that's what it means to dwell in us richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name, okay, with the character of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then some family and work instructions. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, as is fitting in the Lord. How would the Lord have you do this? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Now there's a little insight there as to maybe some rewards that are coming, okay? But, you know, Christians should be the best employees there are. If you're in the workplace, boy, have you ever been around people who if the boss is around, man, they're a hard worker. But if the boss isn't around, you know, they're texting, they're doing this, they're on the internet or whatever like that. And it's eye service. And Paul says, look, as a believer, you work for Jesus. And therefore, you need to work in such a way that pleases and honors him. We should be the best employees People should want to have Christians like, oh, they are the best. You can rely on them. They are always there for you. They are steadfast. They're awesome. You want to have Christians in your business, okay? Unfortunately, that's not often the case. And then he says, uh, verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, employers, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Ooh. See, God doesn't play favorites. Employees, you be the best employees out there. Employers, you be the best employer out there. Why? Because you have a master in heaven, and you're going to be held accountable, just like your employee is. Oh my, okay. So continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. What's that mean? Gracious and seasoned with salt. Now, if you're gracious with somebody, you're giving them blessing and you're treating them maybe in a way that they don't deserve, but you're going to do it anyway, okay? In a good way, all right? And seasoned with salt 
Remember, we're salt of the earth, right? Salt is a preservative, okay? So when we're speaking to each other, we should be seeking to preserve each other, not to destroy and bring decay and hurt and harm. But our words should have a preserving facet to them. Salt purifies, right? Salt purifies. And so as we speak to each other, our words should be in such a manner and pertaining to things where we're helping each other grow in the Lord. And it also gives flavor. Why you put salt in cookies, I don't know. Cookies are sweet, right? But if you don't put the salt in the cookie, the chocolate chip cookie, it tastes weird. You know, it's just not quite right. You can put all the sugar, but you need the salt, just a little bit. It brings out the flavor. And as we speak to each other, we should speak in ways that bring the flavor of life and the flavor of Christ into each other's lives. Pouring into each other, like Paul says, speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, pouring goodness into each other so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then the final greetings, and he brings up Tychicus and others and Onesimus and also, here's our two Two guys, Tychicus and Onesimus, off they go to Colossae, bringing two letters, one for Philemon, one for the church. Addressing the poisons that were coming into the church at that time. Poisons that are here within the body of Christ in our day and age. Remember how Paul talked about the Bereans. They were noble-minded Because when he went to Berea and he preached Christ, they took what he had to say, took it to the word of God to see if it was true. And as believers, that's what we need to do. When there are those out there saying, oh, you know what? Jesus is just one of many ways to Christ. I mean, to God. What's the word say? When people say, ah, you know, Jesus, Jesus isn't all there is. You've got to keep these rules. You've got to be a part of our group. And, you know, you've got to do that to get good with God. What does the word of God say? Let us hold fast to the Jesus of the word of God. For he is the word of God made flesh. Paul tells them, don't deviate from Jesus. May we not either. There's a lot of stuff out there that wants to take us captive and pull us away from the things that the Lord has for us. Let's not give in. Let us hold to Christ alone. Amen. Amen.